I'm Alex Mito. And I'm James Milley. And this is The Artist Business Plan, your favorite weekly business podcast for artist entrepreneurs, hosted by Superfine Art Fair. Hello, business artists and art entrepreneurs. Welcome back to The Artist Business Plan. My name is Alex Mito, and I'm the CEO and co-founder of Superfine Art Fair, the most widespread art fair for artists in the United States. As you probably know by now, we're also the top business resource for all things art, artists, and marketing of art. I've also got some really exciting news to share with you today about this very podcast. You are now among over 3,000 unique listeners to this podcast every month, and you're tuning in from all over the world, over 64 countries and growing every week. We're so excited to keep growing with you all and providing support and guidance to artists and professionals around the world, but we need your help. After you listen to this amazing episode with the wonderful Philippa Hughes, please take a moment to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or your preferred listening platform. That helps business-minded artists just like you find the artist business plan and benefit from our and our guests' amazing perspectives every week. We are here today with one of my favorite people, Philippa Hughes. Philippa P.B. Hughes is a social sculptor and creative strategist who produces art-fueled projects that spark humanizing, authentic conversations between people who might not normally meet. She's designed and produced hundreds of creative activations since 2007, where curious folks engage with art and with one another in unconventional and meaningful ways. We were actually really excited to host one of those projects back in 2019 when Philippa co-curated Hey, We Need to Talk, an interactive installation at Superfine Art Fair in Washington, D.C. Philippa also leads Curiosity Connects Us, a partner in Looking for America, a national series that invites politically diverse guests to break bread and talk to each other face-to-face using art as a starting point for relationship-building conversations. Welcome to the show, Philippa. Hi, it's great to be here. Glad to have you here. Before we get started, I want to ask you something that we ask every guest to help our audience get to know the real you. What is the earliest memory you have of art? And the second part is, when did you realize you'd be dedicating your life to connecting people through art? Wow. Okay, that's a good one. Because I was thinking about how I, you know, I used to be a lawyer and I was so bored and I just desperately wanted to be around creative people. And so I started inviting people over to my house, artists over to my house, and I plied them with wine. And we would just sit around and talk about their art, you know, and everybody likes to talk about themselves. So they were all very happy to do that. (laughs) But it was those, you know, what I kind of called my little, you know, Gertrude Stein salons, where we just sat around and talked about art and, and drank wine that I thought, yeah, like, this is what I want to do, I got to figure it out. And so that, you know, that was sort of the beginning of my transition from being a lawyer to sort of being an all around art person. But before that, I was always like collecting, I was always collecting art, even from like high school, I was collecting art. So, you know, maybe going back to your first question, I mean, I remember, you know, buying prints and photographs very early on at like art fairs, you know, the kind that are in parks and stuff like that. And maybe that, you know, those are some of my earliest memories of like beginning my art collection. Can I say two things? One, I love when we have someone on here who is also an art collector as well as having advice for artists. I think that that kind of advice really resonates. Mm -hmm. Um, Also, I've known you for, I, I don't know, three, four years now. I had no idea you were a lawyer before. 
Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's really exciting to know. And then also that that was the catharsis for you to actually transition <laughs> to a more creative role. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's really weird there. You know, there was that book called The Creative Economy, like many years ago, and lawyers are included in the creative economy, which I always thought was so hilarious. I guess they have <laughs> to get very creative in their legal arguments or something like that. <laughs> oh, yeah. There, I mean, if a good lawyer is creative. A bad uh-huh. one. Not so much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cool. So, Philippa, you have a slew of projects you're currently working on. I'd love it if you could give our listeners a bit of a rundown about what being a social sculptor looks like before we dive deeper. So, you know, I kind of stole the name social sculptor from artist Joseph Boyce. He called himself a social sculptor. He would sculpt spaces in which people were expected to have conversations and those would lead to relationships, like relationships were sort of at the core of his art, create, helping create those. And then the one thing that I really loved that he added to that was that those relationships, you know, not only had to happen in order to complete the artwork, but also those relationships had to lead to making society better. I don't know, I just had to adopt that for myself when I read about his work. So that's sort of at the core of all the projects that I work on right now. The main one being, it's called Looking for America. It grew out of a series of just small dinners I had around my own dining table right after the 2016 election, when I was upset about the result of that election and decided like, I just need to understand what happened and why. And so I started inviting Trump voters over to my house to dinner and just talking and asking questions. And I did that over and over. And eventually that led to a national project called Looking for America. And in that project, I traveled around the country and co-curated art exhibits with with artists in communities all over the country. And I would ask them to answer the question, what does it mean to be American in your community? And then we'd have an exhibit and I would organize dinners for like 50, sometimes at one dinner, there were 88 people from across the political spectrum. And then asking them to also, you know, to look at the art, experience the art, talk to the artists, and then consider for themselves what it meant to be American. And it's just been an incredible experience, like personally. And so, you know, the pandemic kept us from continuing in person. We've been doing some conversations on Zoom and now trying to move toward how we kind of integrate digital and in-person together. Like, I think there's a lot of benefit to being able to bring people together Yeah, I love that. And I completely agree. It's amazing how Looking for America grew from the dinner series. And just because I love the name so much, what did you call that dinner series that you were doing? Oh, yeah, it was called, I called it Blueberries and Cherries. Um, (laughs) It came about because I, at the very first dinner, I made for dessert a blueberry and cherry crisp. I thought I was being so cute and clever because, you know, blue and red fruits. And, (laughs) And then it would dissolve into a purple goo, the sort of a symbol of depolarizing our country and from you know we're no we should not be just blues and reds we shouldn't be in our tribes we should be together so with these projects you incite conversations and you keep yourself so open to hearing different opinions and i'm sure with the blueberries and cherries dinners you heard a ton of them now that we are finally out of let's just be honest out of the trump era can you speak about what you found out from these dinners Besides the the purple goo from the pie you served, did you end up feeling more connected with the people? We're not really out of the Trump era. Like he's still around, and he's still going to be a factor in our politics. I mean, he still is right now. You know, you see Congress people 
talking about their relationships with him. I just saw Matt Gates was like, I'm going to quit being a congressman so I can join his legal team. The Trump era isn't over yet. That's actually one of the things that, you know, it's related to one of the very important things that I learned. Yes, I'm very happy that Trump is gone now. And, you know, it was very important to me to get rid of him, basically, at, you know, at least his, his, his presence in my mind every single day, you know, and him not being on Twitter is awesome. But the fact is, is that getting rid of Trump doesn't get rid of the problems that brought him to office. Those are the things that we really ought to be focusing on. And I was actually really frustrated over the last four years with the way that so many people focused so much anger on Trump, the man, Mm -hmm. and less on the problems that caused that to happen. And so I hope that, you know, now that he's out of of office, we don't just go back to thinking, oh, everything's going to be fine. Like, it's not going to be fine because a lot of the same problems are, they're all still here. Yeah, I totally get that. And did you, you know, through like the dinners and connecting with people, did you get some insight into that with the people that you were communicating with some of the Trump voters that you might have had at those dinners as well? We do have these sort of common slivers, you know, slivers of commonality. Like we all want to have decent jobs, a home, food for our families, you know, all the basic things. But, you know, when it comes to policy, a lot of times we have different approaches to how we solve the same problem. So there's that. But we also prioritize different things. For example, like one of the things that I just always found so fascinating is that one way to really rile people up on the right is to talk about immigration and about, you know, the borders, sealing the borders and keeping out refugees, all those kind of issues. And if you talk about immigration, people on the right, like they place that issue higher up than people on the left. And so like you can't get people to the polls on the left by talking about immigration, but you certainly can on the right. It's not a criticism either way. It's just, it was just eye-opening to me to realize like how differently we prioritize certain issues. Absolutely. And I think just to give our listeners a little context and kind of this is sort of political section of this of this episode what i've seen philippa do really well over the past years is incorporate art into those conversations and i actually attended an exhibition you put on philippa not going to remember exactly where it was right now but near dupont circle in dc it was at like an old mansion and it was really dealt with immigration and a lot of the policies that were we were all dealing with at that time what was that event or the exhibition Yeah, it was at the Heyrich House Museum. So, you know, a house museum. And the show was called A Good American. So that show really actually was the turning point from the dinners being just around my dinner table to being bigger, you know, at museums. They eventually, you know, they were bigger. And that was the kickoff for Looking for America, actually. You know, that show is called A Good American because Mr. Christian Heyrich was a German immigrant who was criticized and discriminated against during World War I, even though he had built this enormous business in D.C. and was the biggest employer in D.C. other than the government. And yet our U.S. government asked him to make a loyalty pledge. And he basically said, like, F you, I'm a good American. And I've just always thought about, like, a 100, that was in 1918, and a hundred years later, that art, the art, art show was in 2018, that same kind of vibe was still happening in our country where people's loyalty, essentially, people's Americanness was being questioned. It was very frustrating. And so that's what that show is about. 
through these different, you know, exhibitions, programs, things you've put on over the years, you have built communities with your work. And as you've said, curiosity connects us. What are some things you didn't set out to learn, but that you ended up discovering through this work? You know, I really tried to approach the whole project with as much of an open mind as possible, because like with many things that I throw myself into, I understand what I don't know as much as possible. And so one of the things that I really threw myself into, because I'm not a facilitator, I'm not a trained facilitator or mediator, and you know, I don't have a career even in, in any of that kind of work, is I just started to try to educate myself on, you know, what are the causes of polarization? What are the skills and techniques one needs to mediate conversations? You know, learning about the sources of polarization. Many people think Trump was the beginning of polarization, which, you know, we clearly know is not like it was long before Trump. A lot of people will point to the election of a black president as the beginning of our divides. But really, you know, it just went back so much further than that. It really, you could trace it back, you know, to the civil rights movement in the 1960s. You could even go back further to Jim Crow laws, to the end of the Civil War, to Reconstruction. Our polarization is almost embedded in our society right now. And so we have a lot of work to do to depolarize. So, I mean, it is this huge thing to overcome. And I think like using art as a means of, to leverage that, that depolarization that we so desperately need. I think it's amazing that you kind of dove into that through these projects, Philippa. So switching gears just a little bit. So when you were in charge of the Pink Line project, which was something you did for many years in DC, you were kind of known as the DC art lady. Do you think that once the pandemic is over and we all start going to art shows again, you'll come back to that side of the art world and putting on shows and things of that nature? I miss it already. And I would love to, but you know, I do think that that time in my life was awesome and it gave me so much that I, I don't think I should try to like reconstruct it in the way that it was. I do think that there's a place for me in terms of helping to promote art and in some way, but I don't know exactly what that's going to look like yet. But there's no way I would ever leave the DC art scene, you know, altogether. Like that's just part of me now, part of my identity now. And obviously, like I'll never leave art in general. Like I'm always going to be pursuing art at, you know, in everything that I do. And that's why, you know, art is such an important part of like the Look, Looking for America project. Art is literally the framing device. It's the tool with which we use to bring people together into dialogue. It's at the core of basically everything that I do. I'll probably never go back to what Pink Line Project was. And I think that's okay. Like we should evolve, but it'll be something. I don't know what it is yet. <laughs> we can't wait to see what it is. And I think that's actually good perspective for the artists listening too, because you kind of have this mindset, okay, you're an artist, you create art and that's amazing. You always can and should, but there's also ways that you can propel yourself into new things that you may not know yet, like what Philip was doing. And I think it's a really cool, it's one of the reasons we asked you on the program. I think it's a really interesting perspective for artists to kind of grab onto that they can use what they do and love to do to move into different spaces that they weren't in before. Absolutely. And, you know, I'll add one thing too. I just read this other really cool book called Range, and it talks about how, you know, people who have really a broad range of interests and knowledge 
can be more successful, air quotes, in, in the world, in the business world, because then you can pull ideas from so many different sources to think of solutions. Because in the end, like, that's what sort of bus- the business world is about, is like finding solutions to problems all the time. And so the more sources of information you have, the better problem solver you're going to be. Yeah, I absolutely agree. We always reference people like Leonardo da Vinci and Michelangelo who were simultaneously like incredible artists and also incredible scientists. And somehow speaking of polarization, kind of bringing it home, we've sort of created this idea in the past like hundred years that that's not the case, that you have to be, you know, a creative or you have to be a scientist or a business person, but really the best of all fields pull from all, all of them. So I think that's a really neat point. Yeah, absolutely. I, I really, really believe that deeply. Yeah, I do too. So that's a good segue because we, we normally do talk about the business of selling art in this podcast, but to have a business focused mindset, you also need to be open creatively, kind of what you were just talking about. Do you have any exercises that can help an artist or anybody think more creatively or open-mindedly? One of the most important things that I have done almost my whole life is I take walks. And I know that just sounds so hokey, but it is it has been so important to me not only to take walks by myself where I just have time to think, but you know, that's when I take walks with people who always, you know, we have walk and talks and I get the best ideas when we're just walking along and our minds are really relaxed and can be opened up more. And especially when you're in nature and, you know, nature just, just totally opens up your mind in a different way than than sitting in your studio. Not that sitting in your studio is a bad thing, but I think breaking it out with a walk in nature is pretty important. It's done a lot for me. Yeah, I love that. We've all experienced the staring at the proverbial blank canvas, whether you're whether you're actually like a painter or whether it's just looking at a blank word document or whatever it is you do. And I think I agree with you, Philippa, that sometimes like the concept of just gritting your teeth and staring at it is overrated. You got to break it up and get out of the house, take that walk, even if it's 10 minutes, free your mind and then come back to it. I think that's such good advice. They often say like you, you should spend time just daydreaming, like instead of staring at the blank screen or the blank canvas, like literally stare out the window, like literally daydream. It's done a lot for me. Yeah. Like I mentioned before we started this talk, Philippa, we just moved into a new house and we have these picture windows that look out over what is currently a snow covered backyard. So we're seeing like, we're sitting there working and we're watching deer walking through and red tailed hawks swooping down blue jays. It's really amazing. And I think if you have any, maybe you don't have that exact opportunity, but whatever opportunity you have to just gaze out and see what's going on outside, whether that's a busy New York City street or a beach or anything at all, it can help you so much. And, you know, try to build your life into those kinds of inspiring places, I think is really important as well. Yeah, I'm very jealous. I'm going to come visit you. You definitely need to come visit. (laughs) It's a great spot. So this has been an amazing chat. We are starting to wrap up here, Philippa. So can I ask you, what is one more word of advice that you have for an artist out there listening who's trying to broaden their horizons? I say yes to almost everything. And the reason why is because of that thing I was saying earlier about range. Like I want to have as many points of information as possible, as many connections as possible. Because what I have found is that a lot of the success that I have experienced came from like 
somebody I met five years ago who told me about this other thing that led to another thing. And I think that all happened because I just said yes to everything without the expectation that it would be fruitful in any way, but just because I was curious and I was interested in others. And eventually a bunch of those dots kind of just connected up in different ways at different points in my life when it was necessary to, to connect up. And I got a lot of benefit out of that. The danger is that you say yes to everything and then you don't have time to do your actual practice of art or you know do whatever, whatever work you're supposed to be doing. So there is some balance there. But at the end of the day, I think the, the benefit and the value of, of saying yes to more things than to saying no outweighs you know, sometimes feeling a little stressed because I took on too much. I love it. The benefit of saying yes outweighs the stress of taking on too much, <laughs> but, but be careful. Yes, <laughs> I, I love that. That's a great note to end on here. Uh, that was actually really helpful for me to kind of articulate that. So <laughs> thank you. <laughs> cool. So to all of you business artists out there, Philippa has been here with us today, sharing her amazing perspective. You're going to want to go back and take notes for sure. You can listen to this in all of our past podcasts on our website at www.superfine.world. If you want to connect with Philippa, you can follow her at Philippa Hughes on Instagram and visit www.philippahughes.com. Both of those will be in the show notes as well. As always, remember that we are Superfine Art Fair on Instagram. And if you want to give us a quick hello or learn more about how to apply for and exhibit at one of our upcoming fairs around the U.S., just drop us a line at artistsmakingmoney at superfine.world. That's artistsmakingmoney at superfine.world. Once again, if you've been enjoying the artist business plan, please share it with others on Instagram and please take just a moment of your time to write us a review on Apple Podcasts. It really, really helps other artist entrepreneurs just like yourselves find us and we appreciate it a lot too. And as always, I'd like to end the class by sharing a quick and I believe relevant quote with you all. And today that quote is, smart people learn from everything and everyone. Average people learn from their experiences and stupid people already have all the answers. And that is Socrates. Philippa, it has been such a pleasure having you with us here today. Thank you for sharing your wisdom and perspective with our audience. Thank you. This is awesome. You're welcome. Everyone, remember to stay on top of your artist business plan. Get out there and make it happen. Thanks for joining us for another episode of The Artist Business Plan, a weekly business podcast for artist entrepreneurs brought to you by Superfine Art Fair. Hosted by Superfine CEO Alex Mito and co-founder slash professional artist James Milley, join us and leaders in the art, marketing, and business arenas each week for tips, tricks, and value bombs designed to help you thrive and sell more art. For more information on applying to Superfine Art Fair, as well as recordings of this in all of our past podcasts, just visit www.superfine.world. We love to hear what you have to say, so just follow us on Instagram at superfineartfair and shoot us a message to let us know you're listening. Looking for a more personal connection or want to exhibit at an upcoming fair? Just shoot us an email at artistsmakingmoney at superfine.world and we'll get right back to you. That's artistsmakingmoney at superfine.world.